The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Welcome to Dugout Study Hall, a remedial course in baseball stats and part of the Pitcher List Podcast Network. Find us on Twitter at Dugout Study Hall. I'm your host and expert layman Matt Goodwin here with my co-host and your fake baseball economist Alexander Chase. Joining us for this episode to discuss prospects, ranks, dynasty, players, and so much more is master of all fantasy baseball trades and captain of our industry, Mr. Eric Cross. Before we get to all the good stuff, Eric, how you doing? Doing pretty good. How are you guys doing? Alex? Uh, I, do you want me to like come firing off with the complaints or anything i will i'm doing give us one pick, pick just your fine. favorite okay. complaint um i went on vacation for fourth of july and i uh got basically the entire vacation rained out mm. <laughs> which is i think just beautifully beautifully american <laughs> high expectations all foiled so yeah i'm doing great actually wah, how about yourself uh, i'm doing okay i uh i didn't really have any huge expectations for the fourth of july and so uh when nothing happened that was pretty much to plan so uh, I'm good with all of that. Uh, as we were talking about off air, I've got a couple of little kids and I expected, fully expected meltdowns when the fireworks in the area went off. And I was very pleasantly surprised at how well they handled that this year. Um, so that was good. That was really positive. I thought I was really going to be on, on like late night daddy duty. Um, but uh, they handled it like champs. Eric, anything uh, going on in your life for the fourth? No, not really. It was it was pretty quiet this year. Didn't have a lot going on. Like you mentioned, I, I didn't have any huge expectations for the fourth this year. Just kind of went over to my dad's and had a little mini cookout. Just me, and my kids, my dad, and my sister. So yeah, it was it was kind of nice though. Like you know, sometimes it's nice to have like a quiet you know weekend mm-hmm. or holiday weekend. So it's not like usually every year it's crazy going to this cookout and that cookout and yeah, driving yeah. all around with kids. And so it's it's nice to you know every now and then sneak in kind of like a quiet, laid back holiday weekend. That sounds like the absolute ideal like <laughs> holiday. Don't have to travel. Don't have to like fulfill anyone's expectations. Again, don't have to move when you're already full. Right. <laughs> you know, those are those are important things. <laughs> that's pretty high on my list of not having to move around too much when I'm full. That's definitely that's a that's underrated. Um are either of you golfers? I'm gonna ask this question before we really get into the meat of this. Are either of you golfers? Does disc golf count? <laughs> uh, well, I'm actually very interested in that. We'll have to touch base on that on, on another time. I have I have golfed once. Okay, and once I figured, so you're out, a golfer then. Once I figured out what every club was between the driver and the putter, I did a yeah. lot better on the back nine. I'm like, oh, this is this is much easier. Oh yeah, yeah. You know the different clubs go different distances and such. Yeah, and then, it, it was it was a lot easier in the back nine. Once so I was like, oh, that's that's better to use that club there. Yeah, it, it got better. Most definitely, yeah, it helps a lot. Alexander, I'm really curious to know the answer to this uh, on on your front. I think that every golf course west of the Mississippi River should be demolished. So, uh, <laughs> wow, yeah, I'm I'm pretty anti golf. That's really a very strong stance. I uh, <laughs> uh, I'm going to need a moment here, I think, to recover from that. I, I only ask because uh, we're recording here uh, Tuesday night, and it's in the middle of the latest iteration of the match it's a thing Phil Mickelson does. Uh, I won't bore you with it since neither of you seem to really be into the whole deal. <laughs> but uh, I was just very, very curious about that. It's uh, it's kind of a neat thing, but they're they're collecting a lot of money and, and donating a lot of stuff. Uh, That's meals. Good. Yeah, yeah, meals this time yeah, around. Yeah, yeah. Like five million meals. At the point that I have it paused on the TV right above my head, which I will return to uh, once we're done with this episode. And speaking of... 
I think it's time for us to get into uh, what we are here to do, and that's to talk about baseball, fantasy, uh, dynasty most specifically. We are super lucky to have with us Eric Cross, who is uh, captain dynasty, keeper league, rankings. Uh, if you're not using his stuff, you're doing it wrong. That's absolutely true. So we are super thrilled to have you with us. Um, before we like go through our whole rundown and our segments and stuff, uh, you want to just give us a little bit of uh, insight into how you came into uh, working on the stuff that you do. And then uh, just one quick thing before, before we kind of dive into the rest of it, like your favorite thing about MLB in 2021 so far. Yes. Yeah, so for my favorite thing for baseball so far this year, I mean, the fact that we have a full 162 games again, and the fact that we mm-hmm. have a minor league you know, season yeah, again, that right. is... You know, as someone that went to, you know, a 60-game season, it was kind of weird. We all know that. We, we all went through it. But just having no minor leagues last year, like, I, I get why they did it, obviously, during the pandemic. But it was just – it sucked, man. It, it was weird. Yeah. It was for, you know, me, I have a double-A uh, park for the uh, Boston Red Sox is 15, 20 minutes from my house. Mm-hmm. And I've gone – even before, I was, I've been going there, like, so many times every year since I was, like, five years old. So it was just weird to have <laughs> a full – you know, basically a year and a half. So, like, the, you know, season ends on, you know, right around Labor Day for minor leagues. So, Labor Day 2019 through, like, what was mid April was the first game, this home game this year. So, yeah. that's a full, like, year and a half. So, that was really weird. Yep. So, having minor leagues back is just, I think that has to be my favorite thing in 2021 so far. Uh, so, we get all this baseball, full 162, minor leagues back. It, it feels normal again. So, that's great. And uh, yeah, so I got into um, Dynasty and prospect work. You know, I started back when Fantrax HQ was like just starting. They um, sent out emails like, hey, we're looking to get content side ramped up. So I was like one of the first ones that came on. So it was really like kind of, you know, we were able to kind of find your niche and find what you wanted to write about, what you wanted to cover. So I was Mm -hmm. like, all right, I want and I get bored doing the same old thing over and over. (laughs) I can't do the same old things, repetitive things annoy me so i was like i want to do like a little bit of everything i want to do some redraft stuff some dynasty stuff some prospect stuff so i kind of took on the dynasty and prospect stuff because you know really nobody else did at the point in time and i was like okay i'll run with this and it, it's turned into what it has today you know four years four and a half years later so it's just really, it's really fun for me to cover all different types because i think that, that keeps me fresh keeps me on my, on my toes i'm able to provide different analysis so it's not like always talking about this you know 18 year old in low a i can talk about yeah. you know some veteran <laughs> you know the buy low veteran mlb players or some prospects some dynasty so it's just it keeps me fresh and you know makes it so i don't have to write the same thing over and over so i, I like i like doing the, a good mix of everything so it really makes it fun i'm surprised that you know like you'd any even possibly get bored of writing about the same stuff like you know blown save in the phillies bullpen injuries <laughs> for the mets like doesn't that like just really get you excited though like <laughs> I thought that someone who's so into this stuff would just want to be able to write about that all the time, every right. year. <laughs> and talk about, like, for, for my Red Sox, how the rest of the lineup is absolute junk right now. It's like you got the big four of J.D., Devers, Xander, and Verdugo. Then it's – like, you, you guys know that that uh, gif of the, the kids in the line dabbing and, then, like, that awkward little kid in the back, like, doesn't dab. He just doesn't know what to do. He has, like, the awkward karate pose. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, those four dabbing are the, the big four on the Red Six lineup. Then the rest of the lineup is the awkward kid dabbing in the yeah, or, uh, yeah. doing the karate pose in the back. It's like, they can't figure out what they want to do with the leadoff spot. So, yeah. so <laughs> Glad you make that joke before I could because um, I'd feel a little bit bad, but uh, I guess I shouldn't. No, no, I think it's, yeah, it totally fits. Um, all right, so we're going to jump in here to the number of the week, which uh, obviously with Eric on the pod needs to be 500 players uh, or ranks in Dynasty is is uh, kind of the the go-to, I think, at least for a lot of the people that I play Dynasty with. I know that they're constantly going to fan tracks, looking at that list to see who's moving up and down. And that's kind of what I would like to, to talk to you a little bit about here is um, I know you just did a recent update. So who's kind of the riser and the faller? Um, or you could pick a couple of guys if you want to. And how is it that you kind of come to a decision on a guy like maybe Kevin Hera? I think those risers and fallers are really interesting and in how you kind of go from the list you had at the beginning to the changes that you're going to make. Yeah, it's uh, dynasty rankings are, are a beast. They really are because <laughs> I think, you know, obviously I also do prospect rankings, which I find to be incredible, not easy, but easier because mm-hmm. it's, you just rank in prospects, right? When you <laughs> dynasty, it it's like very easy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like when you do dynasty, it's always hard to like value. Like, all right, how do you value 
you know, 30, whatever he's on, 36-year-old Justin Turner versus, like, a 19-year-old prospect that's in, like, high A. It's it's kind of – it's a odd yeah. balance you got to find there. Um, every now and then I'll, I'll kind of scrap it and – and usually I just update my, I have a, a big spreadsheet. I just make, make updates as they, you know, as they happen um, every, every month. And then sometimes usually in the off season, I'll kind of scrap it. Not like get rid of the old list, but break it down like position by position. Just make sure like that I didn't miss anything. And you know, like, you know, look at each position. Like, all right, why do I have this guy ahead of this guy? So it's, it's really uh, a fine line ranking the, the prospects versus the veterans. But I, I try to look at it. And I mentioned this too in like the intro, like, you know, every league's different, you know, use this as a base, then, you know, adjust up and down, you know, according to your league or where you yeah, might absolutely. be in the standings. And I think, you know, I gotta give a shout out to a buddy of mine, Ian Khan at The Athletic, does, he has two different rankings. He has like the, his kind of like win now rankings and then his, you know, rebuild rankings. So that that's mm. pretty cool there too. Yeah. I love how he does that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting. Um, couple couple risers and fallers here. I know he's on the list here, but he's been a big follower of mine. Uh, basically, every time I open up my spreadsheet, I feel like I move him down another twenty spots or so. Yeah, Glaber Torres. Yeah, like yeah. he, and it's not my Red Sox bias coming out. Like he is just <laughs> every time I look at his Savant page, I just watch you know watch Yankee games sometimes. I'm just like, he doesn't nothing about him stands out to me. And it's funny, like mm. even back when he was you know like when he was really good 2019 you know i think he had about 38 home runs that year it's not like his number like his metrics were off the charts they were kind of like league average maybe a little above league average it wasn't like he was scalding the ball at like 93 miles an hour it was like mm. 88 88 and a half uh so the fact that he's the fact that you know he has a good approach which is great you know he's, he's been improving that approach every year i think his you know, k-minus walk rate has improved every year of his career i'm pretty sure but it's the quality of contacts metrics here are just not good. And he's bottom 6% this year in mm. exit velocity. Like, you wouldn't think, you know, he's down with, like, the Victor Robles and Garrett Hampson. <laughs> I hate to mention Garrett Hampson. But uh, those types <laughs> of guys down at, like, 85-something miles an hour. And he doesn't run. And it's kind of weird that a, a guy that plays half his games in Yankee Stadium and then another, what, 60 or so combined at... Fenway, wherever Toronto decides to play that month, <laughs> which is always usually a good hitters park, no matter what. Baltimore, Camden Yards, Tampa yeah. Bay's even I think middle of the road kind of hitters park. That he's playing in basically a neutral or better hitters park for basically what I'd say three quarters of his games or so, and he's still yeah. only has I think he has three home runs right now if I if I recall yeah yeah three home runs. So he just keeps moving down. So he doesn't really offer me anything that. I like his. I think if he was a shortstop on the Diamondbacks or the Pittsburgh Pirates, we wouldn't even be talking about him, right? Like he'd be yeah. probably not on anybody's roster, even in redraft. So, yeah, yeah, he keeps dropping down my list here. Uh, and another one here, Keston Huria, he's dropped down because he. It's, it's funny. It's like he's done a complete 180 from what we saw as a prospect. We we're like, all right. Good hit tool. He'll hit for a high average. Doesn't really strike out too much. Uh, so, you know, 280, 290 type hitter. You know, power's like 15, 20 home runs. Maybe 10, 15 steals. And then he's he turned into more of a power hitter. And, you know, the contact skills went down. You know, on base went down. Strikeouts went way up. So I'm, I'm kind of... He's a hard one to rank right now just because mm -hmm. I still, like, want to believe. And I know, like, the whole issue he's been dealing with this year personally with... Uh, his mother having cancer, and I, I can't yeah. imagine um, how that must be weighing on him. But so you, you kind of, I keep giving him a little bit of a pass. Like, all right, I'm not going to be too harsh, dropping him down because maybe that's affecting him more than we realize. We never know. But just looking at his performance, you know, even if he bounces back, I, I don't know. I don't, he has like this massive like transition back to what he was four, you know, three, four years ago. You know, I don't see more than like a 260, 270 hitter, even if he does turn it around. You know, maybe twenty-five home runs and a handful of steals, but you got to value. How do you value that type of skill set? Which is kind of what I've been trying to do. Like, how do you value each particular skill set? Like, is it a high power, low contact guy? Okay, you can find a lot of those. So they're not really that mm. special. So maybe they get kind of bumped down a little bit um, in favor of guys that might have some speed or a higher average. So he's another one that's kind of moved down. Um, and a couple of big risers here. You know, I think the my biggest riser. 
um, over the you know last couple of months here. I try to do a monthly update. Cedric Mullins, like man, yeah. what? <laughs> where were we drafted? Like, I wonder what his ADP was back in March. It must have been, if I had to guess, like mid three hundreds. Like he was a guy that was like, yeah. ah, maybe a late round flyer. And now he's turning the Superman there in Baltimore, hitting for doing everything, average power, speed. Uh, so just the fact that he can, all that he can bring to the table, good hitters park, still fairly young, um, still in his mid twenties. So I'm moving him up. I, I think what he's doing is. Yeah, I think there'll be some regression. Like you look at the, some of the metrics, like I think there will be obviously some regression. I don't think he's like an early round, like you know, top twenty pick or anything yeah, like yeah. that. But definitely the fact that he can do everything well, and even if he's like a you know two seventy twenty twenty guy, that's top one hundred, I think, right there. Um, so yeah, so yeah. Cedric Mullins has been basically the biggest riser, and then obviously all the pitchers this year, all the pitchers that are breaking out, guys like <laughs> Freddie Peralta, yeah. uh, Carlos Rodon, Kevin Gaussman. Those guys have been really, you know, I was a little hesitant. I got like Gaussman, who we've kind of seen, you know, the ups and downs of Kevin Gaussman. We've seen Rodon, how his early career has been kind of a struggle with injuries and performance-wise. So I was like, mm-hmm. I was moving them up earlier in the year, but I'm like, all right, you know, this is nice, but when does, you know, when do the wheels fall off? But wheels haven't really mm-hmm. fallen off yet, especially with Kevin Gaussman and an exact wheeler. Uh, so, yeah, those are some names that have moved way up my, my list, while other other arms have moved way down, like Blake Snell. He's moved way down with his performance. Yep. So, so it's been a big year for arms moving around. Okay. Um, I have the NFBC ADP up in front of me, and just an incredible sentence that I can put together here. Yasiel Puig was, on average, drafted ahead of Cedric Mullins this offseason. <laughs> Mullins was the uh, 402nd player. Wow. Um, yeah, and because there are a lot of like he wasn't drafted leagues potentially that puts him at like a, an ADP of five sixteen, but he is the four hundred and second ranked player. Mm. Once you get that late, it's just like throw your hands in the air and, and chuckle. Like Rodon, he's like four fifties of like ranks, which makes him like five seventy one. Uh, pitchers drafted ahead of him included Stephen Matz, Logan Webb, Michael Walker, who are like oh yeah, those are those are some dudes, <laughs> and it, like Brian Garcia. The Detroit Tigers. Like, it's really, really funny to think about how wrong so many of us were about some of those late rounds. And that is, I think, probably the most fun thing in the middle of the season. Because uh, you don't have to have any anxiety about being wrong again for a little while. Right. <laughs> um, and that's why I always say, like, you know, when you're in those deeper drafts, like, don't just phone it in. Don't phone in the last, you know, handful of rounds. Because if you hit on, like, one or two of these guys, like, if you hit on a Mullins, you hit on a Carlos Rodon. That could be play huge dividends, huge. So yeah, yeah don't totally. phone in the last handful of rounds. <laughs> Never do that. Yeah, for sure. Uh, do you either of you feel as though this is kind of par for the course? I know there's always those guys that kind of shine, but do you feel as though it's it may be a little exaggerated this year? And what might be contributing to that? Uh, we know obviously the change of the ball and the sticky substances stuff that might be playing a role uh, for some of the pitcher performances or some of the hitters who stopped being good and are maybe coming back around like a Carl, uh, Carl, Kyle Schwarber. <laughs> um, and, uh, or is it, is it maybe more like we only had 60 games last year is, or is this just kind of the way that it always is? What do you, what do you guys think? I think it has been a little kind of amplified this, this year. I, I definitely think you know, that going from, you know, 162 to 60 back to 162 definitely played a, played a factor in, especially for, yeah. I think for pitchers more so than hitters. You know, we, we know, you know, baseball players are creatures of habit and pitchers, you know, they couldn't really get ramped up. You know, we always talk about like young players, young arms when they come up, like, all right, there's, you know, innings limits, you know, like Trevor right, Rogers right. is on any like six to Sanchez last year. Uh, and, you know, his unfortunate injury done for the season now. But yeah. uh, so I think it's almost kind of like that. So it was like, how, how deep are these guys going to go? And some, you know, you knew some of the veterans, you know, the Lance Lins of the world, those types. They'd be fine. They'd pitch their normal amount of innings. But, yeah, I think that's definitely affected pitchers a ton this year. So I feel like there's been more uh, up and down movement. And you, like you mentioned, there's always up and down movement every year with, with, yeah. with everybody. But I think this year has been kind of more amplified just because of the going from full season to like a third of a season back to full season for sure. Yeah. One of the things that's kind of interesting me most about a lot of how those things are changing are like how the mental aspect of like inconsistency is probably playing with like the decisions that players are willing to make. If you're playing like the full grind of a season last year, I imagine you're probably tinkering a little bit less uh, just because you're like in your daily flow of things. And I wonder how many guys who we've seen like substantial positive and even negative changes for, you know, like that's just kind of like because they've been a little bit restless. Like, um, 
you know, it's so many, there's so many guys that just like, don't seem like they are the same person in mm. even just like some sort of trivial ways. Like, um, it's been really interesting to me to see like Ryan Mountcastle just decide that he was going to suddenly have any patience at all. <laughs> um, right. Which is, uh, you know, whenever I was talking to some friends of mine who were like, hey, should I uh, should I care about this dude? Because uh, I was supposed to know things about him because I'm an Orioles fan. Uh, very funny, very co- funny concept there. Mm. Uh, you know, I was just genuinely shocked as to the sort of player that we saw. And it just I've continued to be shocked by him and like so many other people we all saw alec manoa coming too right <laughs> yeah oh absolutely like, it was he yeah like there's just no way that anyone could have missed that so i have to imagine like the amount of things that we're going to be wrong about that are tied to decisions um the players have made like we have to be like willing to be smart about that and that's not always easy um but i i wonder if like that in particular has kind of increased in the past year because i, I do think that like you know uh, aside from people who are on the giants like you are kind of who you are um to a great degree not not exactly um and most of the variation for where we are wrong preseason to like midseason is going to be about changes which i think probably one of the things that makes uh, a lot of the prospect stuff so interesting because if you're 21 22 and trying to make it you're probably more willing to change than if you're 28 and already penciled into like sixth in the lineup for the most part right and you bring up a good thing with with prospects last year, you know, I, I talked with, you know, guys like Cody Hosey last year, Shane Boz of, of the Rays, and, you know, how some of these guys that weren't on, or even guys that were at camp or weren't at camp, like, we didn't know what was going on. Like, you hear some yeah. things, but we, you know, you don't hear everything that was going on at the alt sites or even guys that were working out, you know, at their home gyms. Like, you know, Cody Hosey's from the, uh, I think, Chicago area, or it was Indiana area, one, uh, somewhere up there. Uh, he was going to his, his old high school gym and working out. Like, we don't know some of these with prospects, what they were doing and all the information, like all these big changes that they made. You know, you heard about it, like, with the, my Red Sox, Jaron Duran. We heard about the, you know, the hand uh, slot change and unlocking more power last year at the alt site. Here's some of that stuff. But that's a small, you know, chip of the iceberg that we were hearing. So now all of a sudden we're seeing these guys that make all these huge changes and come out of nowhere. Like Shane Boz going from a guy that, was had a hard time throwing strikes to a guy that has a walk rate. I think the last time I looked was like three and a half percent or something like that. After being like a thirteen to fifteen percent guy, like these massive changes that we didn't really hear about all the work that went in, you know, in, in the pandemic year that we because we couldn't, we weren't privy to all this information. So yeah, it was right. definitely a lot of that, a lot of that stuff factors in as well. Well, that brings me to kind of a, um, a fundamental part of what I wanted to, to talk about with you being on, and that's kind of the process. And you hinted at it before, you know, when you, you're trying to take a, an 18-year-old or a 19-year-old who hasn't debuted yet and slot them in um, against, you know, Justin Turner, that there's this really uh, disconnect between the amount of information you have. And, uh, you know, obviously for minor league players, it's even less so. The teams have a lot of that information. It's not as much of a public source. So, um, could we talk a little bit about, um, how, like what, what's, what is it that you look for out of minor leaguers in terms of data? Are you looking uh, primarily at things like hit tool and power speed combos? Is there a lot of scouting that goes into that? Um, are you relying on other people's scouting and how do you reconcile that again with this, uh, like overwhelming amount of data that we have at the major league level? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a, it's a good mix of everything really. You know, when I first started out, you know, I think it's natural to be drawn to those, like, flashy power speed types or yeah, the yeah. guys that, like, throw a 100 or have a nasty slider. Because <laughs> right. those are, the, you know, the sexy things, right? The sexy aspects of prospects. But then you realize, like, what get, you know, what are the guys that are at the major league level, what do they all have in common? Like, that's why I've been factoring in, you know, for hitters, hit tool, absolute hit tool and approach. I've seen plenty of big time power speed guys come up lewis brinson i loved yeah. lewis brinson he hasn't done anything because okay. he didn't have the approach and the context also even though he was like oh yeah he's a 20 home run 25 steal type you know you know, can't get on base to do that so yeah the fact that even they maybe maybe they're a little more boring the the high like, tyler freeman's first thing that comes to my mind great hit tool guy in the cleveland system maybe doesn't have the biggest power speed maybe he's like a 10 home run 15 steal guy but that dude's going to make it because he can put the ball in play, doesn't strike out a ton. So factoring in hit tool and then command and control for pitchers, uh, definitely like Shane Bieber is like the perfect example. Yeah, this year he's kind of been not him his usual Shane Bieber self, but 
you know, he was a good prospect coming up through. Like, you know, I think he was probably like, you know, back end top 100, 60 to 100 range on a lot of lists. And then he turned into one of the best pitchers in baseball because he can yeah. locate his pitches. Well, we see all these other guys that just can't locate. They they flail out, go to the bullpen, whatever it may be. So that's definitely something I, I have factored in more and more. And I try to watch as much as I can. Obviously, I get to, you know, games in, the, in this area um, and you watch, you know, video online and whatnot and all the streams. But, yeah, you, you got to kind of factor in or at least look at some other um, scouting reports. More so, like, you maybe if, you know, this person has seen this player out in, like, the Pacific Northwest, let's say, and they're like, all right, this has been happening. He's been swinging it more pitches outside the zone. I'm like, all right, let me look into that, and I'll kind of watch video. Mm-hmm. So more so to, like, kind of pick up some things I might not have been aware of that some changes that players are making because you can get to as many games as you can get to. You can watch as many games as you want online. But there's this, obviously, as we know, there's so many different leagues out there, hundreds upon thousands upon thousands of prospects. Nobody can yeah. watch them all. So right, right, you kind of, of do got to like rely on some other reports that you hear, at least to open your eyes to like, all right, let me look into that now and see what I think about whatever it may be. So yeah, it's, it's, you definitely got to rely on that as well. Yeah. And a quick follow-up to that kind of a thing with this, the, the complete void of information from last year uh, going into this year, was it kind of kind of go with the information that we've had or um, what were some changes that you had to make because of COVID uh, slash kind of the short season and the non minor league season? Yeah, it, it was tough. I think for a lot of us, it was tough because like you mentioned, we didn't, you know, we heard some stuff, but you know, like a small chunk of the iceberg. What I tried to do was not overreact to, to mm. what I heard. Like, not overreact to the plate approach concerns with Christian Robinson or, you know, the you know power gains that Jaron Duran and Tyler Freeman showed at camp last year. I'm like, all right, that's great. Something to keep an eye on, but I'm not going to, like, instantly bump them up. I want to see what, you know, that's against, you know, simulated games at AAA yeah, parks yeah. or wherever they have the alt sites. And I was like, with, with Jaron Duran, I was like, all right, I want to see that power in games. You know, let's see yeah. when the minor league season starts. Let's see if these changes that you heard about see if they're tangible, see if they stick in game action. Obviously, with Durant, it has. He has, like, 15 home runs right now. Um, so I, that's I, the biggest thing I try to do is just not overreact to, too much. Like, all right, let's, you know, adjust accordingly a little bit up or down, um, given the news, but don't do anything drastic. Don't drop, like, Christian Robinson outside the top 100 because there's some hit tool concerns. We know how talented he can be. Um, so, yeah, that was, like, the biggest thing was just not overreacting too much to what I heard. and But, you know, being cognizant of... You know, all these changes that you, that you do hear about, like, all right, so if that shows up in games, boom, then you make the big move up, big move down, whatever it may yeah, be. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. Um, I, I want to, like, jump in a little bit more on, like, that process for a guy. I guess Duran's a really good name to grab out right now. But, um, yeah, I obviously am this sort of person who, like, does not spend a whole lot of time watching this sort of film because I, I don't know what I'm looking for. Um, And I feel like if I'm going to spend time, I, I mostly just want to watch it spend, you know, or spend it watching Shohei Otani and you just crushed. <laughs> that's, that's fair. Um, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there's plenty of soul crushing out there at low levels that I could be witnessing and enjoying. Um, but I feel like one of the things that's always been a little bit of a black box um, is like what we would expect to see from someone who has, you know, high potential at some of these levels that we're seeing is like a, like a I don't know somewhere in the middle of like the top 100 of like a prospect list uh you know someone who we expect to be like i guess is that like an average mlb like a little bit better than average mlb player if you're like the 50th overall prospect like how good is that guy on average yeah i want to ask that before i get too far that that, that is a great question obviously you know a lot of prospects i use like rolls you know roll 50 roll 60 you know roll 45 whatever it may be so yeah i'd say that's a good question i've never really i've never really thought about that way um yeah i'd say like you know, the 50 to 100 range is probably guys you expect to be, you know, solid major league regulars. And I think once you get into the top 50, like, all right, these guys are probably going to be above average or at least have the you know ability to be above average at their position. Then you keep getting high to top 10, top 15. Like, all right, these guys could be the, you know, the perennial all-stars, the Vidal Brujans, the Jared Kalnicks, the Wanda Francos, the Spencer Torkelsons, guys like that. So, yeah, I, th- I think top once you get in top fifty, like those are the guys that at least you're expecting to be. All right, this is gonna be a you know major league starting caliber player for several years at least. So th- that actually makes a lot of sense, and and I hope that sets up this question to make more sense itself. Like, <laughs> what are we expecting to see differently uh, 
at some of these levels for someone to like make the jump from being like the 50th best prospect out there to like the 10th best prospect out there. Like what sort of difference are we going to be able to tangibly see at these minor league levels? And like, what are you looking for to like be able to call your shot that someone needs to be like flying up a board then? Yeah, that, that, that's a great question. And sometimes it's not necessarily like a big thing, right? It could be little, you know, little things here and there. Like, all right, um, a good example, like Vidal Brujan, they're like, well, what's the difference between Vidal Brujan and some of these other guys that come up like Billy Hamilton or, you know, um, all the other speedster, um, not Gerard Dyson, I'm forgetting his name. But it's, it's sometimes it's just minor things across the board. Um, but so, so it's a lot of things you just have to be kind of looking into is, you know, how do they look at, at the plate? Because, you know, especially plate approach can tell you a lot. It can even uh, a guy like Nolan Jones is a great example of that. Nolan Jones has 30 homer power. He has plus power. But sometimes he is, or not sometimes, a lot of times, he is just way too patient. So sometimes, you know, that 30 homer power, he's not fully tapping into. Um because he walks so much, he's so passive, you know, doesn't really swing as, as many pitches as he probably should. Um, but it's, it's just a little thing sometimes, and just making note of the tangible changes, you know, like, all right, this guy is showing more power this year, he bulked up. Um, so it's kind of a hard question to give, like, that concrete, like, this is, you know, this is the answer right here. Um, I think it's, it's a lot of little things that add up, because sometimes there's not a you know big gap between prospect 27 and prospect 58. You know, it might seem like all right. That's a, that's a thirty-one spot gap. You might think this off the top of your head, like that's that's, that's a big gap. But sometimes it's not. Sometimes that means uh, if it's two hitters, like all right, maybe that guy has ten more points in average, five more home runs, and maybe a few more steals. And but that might not sound big, but when you kind of add it up and look at the stats end of the season, yeah, it can it kind of you know makes sense. I think it's really easy to forget just how many really, really good athletes there are that play baseball. Absolutely. Um, and not just athletes, but like people who do technical and difficult things extremely well. So I think that little bitty gap, like it's really, really crazy to think how small the gap is going to end up being at the end of the year between a guy like, I don't know, like uh, Francisco Lindor or Nolan Arenado and someone that we consider to be pretty average. Um even though those, those guys who are really average also were just doing incredible things, probably worth noting. Uh, yeah, so average really, being a relative yeah. term to the talent around <laughs> yeah, them, yeah. obviously. <laughs> no kidding. Right. Um, all right. I, I want to, uh, before we, we maybe move into some discussions of, around some specific players, um, I'm going to ask you a, a question that's going to put you a little bit on the spot. But, um, you know, it, and, and you can waffle a little. That's totally fine, especially given the discussion we just had. But uh, if you're looking at the new draft class, uh, the the uh, the you know the newest iteration, um, who would you put your money on? And we're not going to actually bet real dollars, but who would you put your money on <laughs> to be an uh, an immediate like gotta have him on your your dynasty team, like a, a top twenty five kind of dynasty asset coming straight out of the draft. You know, the first name I, I think of, which people might not like because of the position he plays, would be Henry Davis, because he's a catcher. People are like, oh, yeah. catchers. But <laughs> th- this draft class is kind of, it's different because, you know, when it comes to fantasy, right, usually, you know, for prospects, well, we've all seen all you know, the, the prospects that have, pitching prospects that have kind of failed over mm. the last few, like Mackenzie Gore, Forrest Whitley, so on and so forth. So people are kind of like kind of reserved when it comes to pitching prospects. So even though there's some good ones this year, a lot of good ones, Jack Leiter, Jackson Job, uh, Sam Bachman, uh, Kumar Rocker, obviously, many more. Um, but and then, you, and then you got this crop of the prep bats, which yeah. they're the upside. They have all the talent in the world. Jordan Lawler, Marcelo Mayer, Brady House, Khalil Watson, all these guys – definitely have the tools to be all-stars but they're prep bats and we, we've seen how that can go wrong pretty quickly or yeah. you know that jump from playing high school to playing in low a or whatever it may be that's a pretty significant i guess that's one thing one of the questions i love whenever i do get to interview a prospect was that even if they're college guys or high school guys it doesn't matter like i love that question like what was that transition like from playing at you know, UCLA or your your high school in Texas to playing in the minor leagues. I love yeah. that question. I'm getting the different answers that prospects provide. Um, so really the one collegiate bat that I feel 
safest about both from a fantasy perspective and a real life perspective is what he can bring on both sides of the ball. That's Henry Davis. He's he can hit for average. He can hit for power. He can he's played good plays good defense. It's a good arm. So I think whatever team gets him, whether you get him in your you know, he's definitely I think he's locked in top five for you know fantasy FYPDs. I think he's going top five in the actual MLB draft. I would love for my Red Sox to get him. I think that would be a great uh-huh. pick. Uh, I think he'd be this guy that's he's the guy that kind of you project as like all right, this is one to be one of those above average impact regulars starting for a long time. And now now he's no Adley Rushman, but he's probably the closest catching prospect you know around to Adley Rushman. So I think he can be that good of a player. So if I was uh, if I had to bet money, like you told me, right, put a thousand dollars down on <laughs> somebody in this class being an all star or being a top 50 fantasy pick, whatever it may be, I'd, I'd have to go with Henry Davis. I think an answer like that makes a whole lot more sense after we've also talked about, like, how good we expect a guy who's, like, in the 30 to 50 range on, like, a prospect list to be. Yep. So I, I feel like that that could be really perceived as a waffle. Uh, you know, like, the, I don't want to pick the guy I want to call my shot. But, like, if we're looking for a guy to, like, post an above average offensive re- season at, like, an MLB position, like, there's a reason why all these teams are like going to pick these like somewhat safe college bats. Uh, those guys are worth something. Yeah, especially and then look at a guy. Like a great example of that. You know, a little bit further down, more of like a ten to fifteen pick range where he's projected. Matt Matt McLean from UCLA. There's nothing really overly flashy about Matt McLean, but you're gonna see him picked. You know, anywhere from I think he could sneak into the back end of the top ten, or maybe you know, anywhere between like nine and maybe 16 or 17 i've seen a lot of him going like was it 12 or 13 to seattle um he's just because he's a safe Mm. he's a safe bat you know he's a safe player you know there's a a higher likelihood that you can that he will help your mlb team down you know two three years down the road whatever it may be than maybe one of these prep guys who have the upside to be but obviously the floor is lower on those so you always see those kind of safer floor guys sneak in because they've you know just have the higher likelihood to help you out. Yeah, I was actually going to ask that question. Do you do you tend to see these teams drafting more for ceiling or for floor? Uh, sounds like floor. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of different... Or, like, Cleveland's a great example of this, too. I, I love how Cleveland, their player development kind of style, where you've seen they draft a lot of prep players that are play up the middle. They get, you know, they're pitching, they get, you know, some good catchers, middle infield guys, center field guys. So I've always said, I think it's easier to move from the middle of the field to a corner than it is, you know, vice yeah, versa. Yeah, and they they get them young, too, so they can, you know, they see the tools that they have to work with. So they can kind of, you know, I hate to use the word mold them, but kind of, you know, they get the prospects they want so um, to fit their kind of planned, future plan down the road. So I think it's different on a lot of organizations. But, yeah, you see a lot of orgs just like, all right, let's play it safe. You know, get the get the collegiate bat. Detroit got like I think four collegiate bats last year. Obviously, Torque is you know, not just yeah, a floor yeah. guy, but yeah, <laughs> you see, you've seen a lot of, of orgs just like, all right, these are the guys that we feel best about helping us out four, five, six years down the road. All right, from that, um, let's move into a discussion of a couple of players. We've mentioned some already along the way. Um, but I'd kind of like to look specifically at, and let's take two players, one who's maybe a little bit older, uh, and one who's maybe a little bit younger who have kind of gone in opposite directions, I think from expectations in, uh, Jesse Winker and where he would maybe have fit into your top 500 going into the season and Alec Bohm. Um, and you know, where, what, what is this first half of the season that we've experienced here? Uh, tell us about those two players or players like them. Uh, in terms of like, how can we plan around what those next steps are going to be? Is Alec Bohm going to explode, and we just need to be a little bit more patient? Is uh, what's going on with Winker here? If he's older, how much value gets factored into? Um, you know, if, if I'm in a dynasty league and I'm I'm trying to move Winker uh, to rebuild or something, you know, how much value is there given that he's older? Um, you can take those in whatever direction you want in terms of <laughs> of the players, uh, but I think that they're pretty good. Um, symbolically of the kind of thing that, you know, dynasty players are are kind of wrestling with mid season. Yeah, absolutely. And you picked two good groups of players because I think those are the hardest for people to kind of, kind of feel out like the, 
aging and, and Winker's not, it's not like Winker's even like super old, right? I think what is Winker is seeing his late, his late 20s, so but late 20s I think in trade yeah. value almost feels like mid 30s. You know, it's like you know fair or unfair to do, you know, yeah, especially right. when, when that when that first digit of their age turns from a 2 to a 3, it's almost like yeah. oh, no, I don't want him anymore. You see a lot of guys you and know. he hasn't been doing it for five years prior to exactly. So that yeah, that Winker plays like too, he, yeah. he showed glimpses, right? He kind of yeah. there's some years like all right, there's like a month here, month there, or you know he was crushing righties this year and struggling against lefties. He had the split issues, but um, yeah, he has been incredibly impressive this year. Yeah, kind of everything that we hoped Winker could be and everything he kind of hinted that he could be, it's finally kind of happened and. You know, this year, you know, we, we knew the power was there. He's, he's always kind of been that really solid power bat. The fact that his approach this year has been, was much better than he cut the K rate almost 10% from last year. Um, and he's always been a good approach guy too. Like last year was weird having a 25.1% K rate for Winkers. He was always like, you know, 15% or so, give or take. Good walk rate guys. That's why he, that gave him the high floor. He's always at least relevant because he had the good, you know, good contact skills and he'd get on base and, you know, give you some occasional power. Uh, but the power he's just kind of ticked up this year. The good exit mm. velocity, you know, the X slug is, is top, uh, top 8% in the league. It's that quality of contacts, you know, been kind of t- trending up for him every year. And some guys are just kind of late bloomers. You know, we've seen it with Nelson Cruz, obviously he's like yeah. the, you know, the poster boy for that and how he <laughs> kind of didn't really turn into Nelson Cruz. So he was like, what, 28 or so. Now he's been one of the best power hitters for the last, you know, dozen years. Um, so yeah, Winker's, you know, a guy that you gotta, I, I take it at face value and just look at the improvements he's made. And, you know, yeah, he kind of, at first you kind of, maybe you're a little hesitant to bump him up a lot because like we mentioned, we've kind of, never seen this type of production from him for an extended period of time. But then you kind of, that kind of switch flips and you're like, all right, this might be what he is now. And you look at, you know, you look at his underlying metrics and yeah, he may, he's struggling a little bit against breaking balls, but that's not like overly uncommon to hit yeah, 216 yeah. against breaking balls. That's not like terrible. We see that a lot, but he's hitting over 300 against fastballs. Well, over 300, 355 over yeah. 300 against off speed is, you know, the whiff rates aren't bad. So yeah, definitely believing what I see in, in Jesse Winker here. Bohm is the one that's really kind of, he's another one, kind of like Kesson Hiria, where he's not kind of showing what he showed us in the minor leagues. Like With Bohm, he was like, all right, this is a guy that's got a good hit tool, puts the ball in play, and for a big guy, you know, six, I think he's 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, doesn't strike out as much as you might think a guy of that height you know, would. Um, but this year, like the approach has just gone south like yeah walk rate's gone down he's only walking 6.8 percent and this was a guy that was like 10 plus percent you know it's like, like all right this is a guy that's gonna be a high obp guy that just hasn't been the case so far this year obp is below 300 i never thought even early career boom i was like all right now this guy's gonna be at least you know solid 340 350 obp and then turn to a guy that's maybe like 360 370 you know in his prime but the one you know the promising thing with alec bomb even though he's striking out more whiffing more walking less that the quality of contact is still very good, right? Mm-hmm. His hard hit rate's 49.8%. Uh, average exit velocity is 91st percentile at 92.4 miles an hour. You know, max exit velo is 82nd percentile. So he's still hitting the ball, but the problem is it's been into the ground. Yeah. And <laughs> even though he's kind of fooled us with a few steals this year, Bohm's not a very fast dude. <laughs> so, like, we see that, like, with Vlad. You know, we, we don't even know if Vlad's gotten in much better shape. Like, you're a slower guy, you know, not a big speedster, and you hit the ball hard into the ground. It doesn't matter how hard it is. You're going to get, you know, that's a lot yeah, of ground outs yeah, to yeah. short, a lot of ground outs to third. So I think that's what Bohm's issue is. You see his launch angle is five degrees right now. That's not, no, yeah, not too, not and that's not like now. a terrible thing. Because we see like one Soto doesn't have a huge launch angle. Um, but just the fact that he's hitting everything in the ground, he's pulling the ball a lot. Um, it's just, he needs to just kind of make that, Kind of, I don't necessarily what make make the change that Vlad made, but he needs to start driving the ball in the air more to capitalize on you know, that quality of content that he is making. So he is a guy that, though, while he is, you got I got to move him down obviously because of how he's performed this year and the fact that it's not just a small sample size; it's 310 yeah, yeah. plate appearances and he's hitting 239 with five home runs. But at the same time, you look under the hood, 
And there are some, like I said, some positive things there. So maybe it's a good little buy low window for someone yeah, that might, yeah. might be like, all right, maybe Bohm's not what we thought. You know, I'll trade him to you for 80 cents on the dollar. Then you scoop in and boom, you maybe have a good return, return on investment here that he still turns out to be the player we thought he could be. Um, a fan. A fantastic note of dumb stat here. Um, Alec Bohm and Jesse Winker currently at the same exact hard hit rate. <laughs> I, I'm kind of notoriously anti-hard hit rate because it's contact only and people can make choices like right. Heston Kira to up their hard hit rate while actually not producing more hard hit balls, which is bad. Mm. Um, but he has been very unlucky on a lot of the hard contact he's been making. He has, yeah. uh, not just hitting it into the ground, but like also just hitting it into gloves when he's not necessarily hitting it into the ground. A lot of line drives to the outfield that are finding gloves. Yep. So he's the sort of guy that I think like fits a lot of the mold for um, a lot of quick glance. He's not a shiny new toy anymore. I'm going to sell him. Yeah. Yep. Like that process that a lot of people who are going to churn and burn while sitting in the bottom third of their dynasty rankings, are like, you know, constantly falling victim in that sort of way. So, I, I, he's some, a guy I've had my eye on and just like really curious to see like what way things are going to break. Um, I don't think hitting a solo home run off of a position player really is a thing that like turns your season around. Oh, what, what are you talking um, about? <laughs> maybe, maybe it does. Um, all right. I'm going to ask you, I'm going to put you to a decision on two, two different guys. And then uh, I want to move into our pass fail segment. But if you had to back, uh, which Nick would you back moving forward? Solak or Madrigal? Oh, that's a tough. I, I I like both players for different reasons, and like Nick Solak is a guy that nothing stands out about him. But he's you know up until this year, he always produced. Mm. Whether it was back, uh, I think what do you call? It? I think South Carolina. He produced every year at college, every year in the minors. He was always like eight. I hate using OPS, but he was always <laughs> like eight hundred plus OPS um, every year in the minors. Like he just this guy. Like all right, sometimes you gotta you know stop looking at the metrics. I think sometimes we get too deep in the metrics, and which metrics are great and all. Someone's like, all right, is the guy performing? Like Lindor, yeah. great example. Lindor's never been like a stat cast darling, right? But he was just been one of the top shortstops, top players in the league for you know the last seven, eight years now. It's like, all right, you got to like, all right, the guy performs. And maybe it doesn't add up, you know, eight, one plus two equals three for him, but he's performing. So, yeah, um, yeah I think I think that's that's the case there um, with, with Solak. But I, I think... This is tough. I didn't think this was going to be this tough. Um, I want to say I'm going to lean Madrigal here. You know, it sucks that he's, he's injured right now. Yeah. But like, he's got, you know, when it comes to hit tool, putting the ball in play, like immediately he, you know, even though he wasn't stealing as much as we wanted him to, just because, you know, nobody really is in the White Sox under La Russa, But he immediately was like arguably one of the, two or three best contact hitters in the league. He's already like, all right, up there with David Fletcher and Eric Sogard and mm, the yeah. 98%, you know, Z contact rate and all that. So <laughs> the fact that he, that kind of aspect of his game translated so quickly. Um, and I do think the speed will at least come to some degree. Maybe he's not going to be a 30 steal guy, but maybe he's 20 steals. But I think this, that floor that he gives because of his contact skills and, but the, he just does not strike out. Like yeah. he makes Wander Franco, who we all talk about how he has a low strikeout rate. He makes Wander Franco look like Chris Davis. You know, like <laughs> the fact that he has like the minuscule. If, if there's a better word than minuscule, I need to find it because um, magical uh, just doesn't strike Nick out. Magical size, yeah, I think. yeah like magical size strikeout rate. Yeah, we, I think that's great. We got we to yeah, use his go. name in in the vernacular there. So I, I will lean there because I think this is a higher floor better chance that you know there's year in year out production from magical even though i do like solak a good amount too, but yeah I'll well, thank you for, uh, for that for following me down that very strange rabbit hole um it's <laughs> a good so- question it was a hard <laughs> question i didn't think it'd be that hard <laughs> um all right let's uh move into a segment we call our pass fail and uh this is all sorts of different things where we just kind of put our yeah we think that's a good idea or a bad idea we think this is a pass or a fail and we're going to turn it into a little bit of a discussion on snubs all-star snubs um, we, Alex and I have talked, uh, as we've kind of approached the creation of the, the all-star teams, uh, kind of with the idea that the fans did a pretty decent job and historically they don't always. Um, but then we also have obviously the reserves and the pitching staffs, uh, have been released and, and chosen and selected. So I'm going to put each of you to it. Alexander, I'm going to start with you. Who's your all-star snub? Uh, Okay. I think I have to like contractually say Yasmani Grandal 
is uh, supposed to be the all-star starter just because he's so weird. Uh, that is the wrong answer <laughs> for a lot of different reasons. Um, and I'm very okay with it. Uh, it's just like the thing that I feel compelled to say um, because I think that the all-star game is a celebration of people who are very good but also very weird. Um, and you have to be a little bit of both um, to really be a guy that I'm going to really love. And um, I think Grandal would just absolutely ruin so many people's days if they saw his batting average. <laughs> he also yeah. landed on the IL today, which is yeah. pretty sad. But that's the sort of thing where I think that would have been just so, so fun to see the fallout from it. So that is not a serious answer in the same way. I think that we have to approach all of like the All-Star stuff with just like enough seriousness. We should vote for the best players to a degree yeah. <laughs> like obviously i don't think that we should be voting for a guy who's bad um but i think that within like the margin of like you know like a fraction of a win um that's all down to le- whether or not some left fielder made a good play or not um and i really truly believe that once you get within those fractional things we've got to vote for the dude that you just want to see playing and uh you know there are plenty of other people who are like literally actually snubbed um, that I think we probably should bring up. Like pretty much every relief pitcher who doesn't currently unsaves uh, kind of fits into that mold. Um, so, you know, I think there's part of me that wishes, wishes that like TJ Antone would have been mm. an all-star because the things he was doing with baseballs is just absolutely ridiculous. Mm. Uh, so if you want a more serious answer, there's a lot of guys like him that I think make for good answers to that question, but I'm always going to be concerned about stupid things like, who's starting at catcher instead because that's just kind of the sick person that i am well you said it not us uh eric who's your all-star snub uh i'll get, i'll kind of do a two-part answer here because first guy he made the all-star team but he should have been a starter no doubt and we mentioned him earlier cedric mullen should yeah. have been a starter. Yeah. yes like you yes. look at the starting outfield for the american league and it's mike trout aaron judge and Teoscar hernandez i'm not saying any of those guys are undeserving but when when's the last time Trout played? Was it like yeah. early May or something like yeah, yeah. that? So it's like obviously I get Mike Trout's Mike Trout, but I think at some point maybe they should have like a uh, games played lit minimum or something like that to be a starter, right? So um, and Mullins, he's been arguably the best offensive outfielder in the American League this year, or at least one of the you know top two or three. So I definitely think he should have been a starter. So he's an All Star starter snub. But one guy you know, over in the National League that I was surprised didn't make it, even though you know the depth of pitching and how good pitchers have been in the NL this year, Freddie Peralta not making the team at all kind of surprised me because yeah. obviously you know they got the big two Woodruff and Burns uh, both made it, but he's been like right there with them basically the entire season, you know, sh- showing you know that this Milwaukee organization just finds these guys. That's why, like, that's another thing, too, not to get off subject here, but, like, start, like, looking at what the teams do and all these the teams that pump out, whether it be good pitchers or good middle infielders, whatever it may be, like, Milwaukee, like, Corbin Burns wasn't a top prospect. Brendan Woodruff wasn't really a top prospect. Mm. Now they're two of the, arguably two of the top five pitchers in the game, or at least top ten, so... Uh, now, like, all right, maybe I th- I got to readjust how I think about Milwaukee pitching prospects yeah. here um, because of the success that organization has had with that posi- particular position. But, uh, yeah, Freddie Peralta, really, he's been absolutely lights out. Luckily, you know, I was kind of drinking the Freddie Peralta Kool-Aid you know, <laughs> back in, you know, draft season, you know, e- even early on when we were drafting in, like, December and stuff. You know, us junkies have just, like, to draft all year <laughs> round as much as we can uh, because, you know, I'm, I'm not a big fancy football guy. So I'm like, all right, let's get, let's get next year's baseball season going yeah. here. But, yeah, just how dominant he's been, 223 ERA, 090 whip, you know, 35.4% K rate, which is one of the best marks in the league, top 4%. He just looks like an all-star, you know. And I hate bringing up wins, but I know they like to look at it. He yeah. has seven wins this year, which is you know pretty solid amount here. Um, it's everything you want from an all-star, and I get that the National League is just breathing, <laughs> pitching talent right now. It's so pitching yeah. rich in the NL right can, now. Can they, but like, I'm surprised he didn't loan make it. some players to the AL for the All-Star game. <laughs> I know, I, like, I really it's think like the AL could use it. I know, like you look at the AL, it's like all right, Shane Bieber, he's been down a little bit from his normal self. Garrett Cole, obviously, he's been a different pitcher the last month or so. It's like all right, Nathan Eovaldi, you know, good arm. Gibson's having a good year. Kikuchi, that's cute. Lance Lynn, solid. Rodon, solid. But it's like, oh my word! And look at the National League, and it's like. Burns, Darvish, DeGrom, Gaussman, Trevor Rogers, Zach Wheeler, Woodruff. It's like, 
maybe oh what uh, maybe what we need to do is adjust the All Star Game selection process to be uh, a draft. The uh, the mo- managers from the previous year draft their teams, and it's not AL versus. It doesn't matter anymore, right? For like it, home field advantage or anything, right? Exactly. You've seen like I think the N- I'm not a big hockey guy, but I think NHL does that. I know the NBA has done that recently. I like basketball too. Get draft things to sponsor it. I mean, right. you have a whole. Do you big think thing, baseball yeah. with with how like baseball can be so like set in its ways and like old school like. I don't know. I just don't see that happening. I would love no, to see. No, it, no. It, it's yeah, never I would love happen. to see. It. I think there's like all the <laughs> AL versus NL pride, which I get, you know, not, and I like that kind of aspect of it too. But uh, yeah, I, I can't see baseball doing that, even though that would be pretty fun. I think it would be. And I think it would, on a more serious note, it might limit some of these snubs, I think, to a certain degree. You know, I mean, I think that there are definitely players on, as you're pointing out, on the AL roster who are less deserving than Peralta, but Peralta is the victim of being in the National League and being the third brewer, right. you know? So, um, I don't know. It just it would. I think it would be fun. I, I, yeah, I'm no, sure it will never it happen. Out, yeah. They they like to play uh, fun things with, like, the hats and the, the jerseys. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen the new hats that came out uh, over the yeah, last what do you, couple Yeah, what do you of think days. about those? Ooh, uh, I have yet to see a hat that I would wear. I, I understand that, like, my sense of taste and style is not the only sense of taste and style that's <laughs> out there, and thank goodness for that. Um, but I, I just, I don't know. They, they, it's not so much that it's, like, not my thing. It just it looks like it's too much at the same time, uh, especially on some of those hats. Just, like, too many different fonts and logos, and we're blending right. yeah, it's, the, the... It's a lot going on. Yeah, it's very busy. very, And they just keep churning out these new things, too. I don't know. We'll see it's, if they it's, make it's money. It's keep right? up with them. Like, and some of them, like, I kind of... You know, I, I think I was in the minority here in, in, you know, the Boston area, New England area, but... I kind of like those uh, the Boston City Connect. Yeah, no, I did. They did. Yeah, like, the, I like the those. yellow, like yeah, for the marathon the and whatnot. There. It took me a minute. And I was like, "This is so different, right?" Because you know, Red Sox are used to like not not bright colors, and like, yeah. like you know, let me let me kind of sit back on this a little bit. But I'm like, you know what? I like these. You know, once yeah. I kind of got more used to it, the, the brighter yellow, I was like, you know, the yellow and the blue, it kind of kind of works. And I saw some that I definitely didn't like around baseball, yeah, yeah. but yeah, like I don't know why like, there's this big push for like. All these different jerseys, and I know it's all merchandising. They get to sell yeah, more right. product. People want the new thing, but yeah, some of these are like there's a room of people that sat here and thought that was a good idea. Yeah, <laughs> right, exactly. Like, That's kind what? of what I've been, and, and like they just keep turning new things out, like the area coat hats. And now there's these new, there's like two different sets of new hats coming out. Right. I, whatever. I didn't mean yeah. to take us off on a tangent there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think it's important to note that if someone listens to this podcast in a couple of weeks, they're not going to know which hats we're talking about because there'll probably be another new hat to be mad at by then. Yeah, well, it'll probably um, still fit, though. I, I, I mean, I, I really think is a really good chance yes. that whatever the next iteration is, this conversation could be just picked up and plopped down. Uh, around those new versions, maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe they're gonna—they're setting us all up to to be talking all this uh, trash, and then they're gonna come out with some amazing thing, and uh, it was all just a, a ploy all along. You know what this kind of reminds me of, though. I don't know if either of you are Family Guy fans, but there's like this one episode where Peter gets like the latest, you know, TV, like whatever it was, 1080p, you know, whatever yeah, it was yeah. on that episode, and he's all excited about it, like I got the the newest thing. He sits down, and like the news comes on, he's like. And the news anchor's like, oh, and the newest, you know, 1440 is like yeah, the newest yeah, thing. Yeah, 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 right. He's like, oh, he gets all angry. I'm like, I feel it. Like, you get the, yeah. you get the new thing. Like, iPhone you know, has a new iPhone every three weeks, it feels like, yep. even though I'm not an iPhone person. But, yeah, it's just like, there's always something new. So Yeah, so definitely. <laughs> definitely. This is a really particular opinion of mine here. Um, I think most of the problem is not, like, that hats are, like, done that like we haven't figured out like um 47 brand hats fantastic oh absolutely agreed yeah 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 new era i mean they're consistent i'll give them that uh but <laughs> not the way they'd want to be they're consistent <laughs> all right uh let's move into our last segment uh before we have to unfortunately say goodbye for this episode um and that's to talk a little bit about the approaching trade deadline i think i would be remiss in not bringing that up since so often we see prospects moved um, you know, a bunch of years ago, Trey Turner being a player to be named later. Um, you know, that sort of thing does happen, not on the regular, but it does happen. Uh, so I would put this to both of you, Eric, uh, to you first, especially from the prospect um, point of view. And I'm just going to, a small aside here, I think one of the things that we were talking about before was what changes a, a prospect's rank 
Um, and sometimes it can be nuanced. And I think that at the trade deadline, one of those things that can play heavily into uh, that would be, and correct me if I'm wrong here, I mean, you're the guru, uh, but would be opportunity. You know, somebody like the um, Jimenez going from the Mets organization to Cleveland and all of a sudden being their guy. Um, not being stuck behind somebody. That's just a small example. Uh, so uh, I think this is definitely worth paying attention to from that point of view. But who do you think are going to be the buyers and sellers? And which prospects do you think might be on the movie either because they're blocked or because they have value? Um, and obviously, we don't have crystal balls. So I, we understand that as well. Uh, but I'd be really interested to hear what you have to say from kind of that angle. Yeah, no, for sure. Opportunity is very big. Like you look in the Cleveland Oric, how there's so many good middle infield prospects, and you're like, all right, there's only two middle infield spots. Right. Yeah, you know, some of these guys might move to third or, or an outfield, whatever, but not everybody can play. Like, you know, the thing like it doesn't always you know work out perfectly. So like the first example I can think of here, obviously the Los Angeles Dodgers, mm-hmm. and how they're all, the Dodgers are always buyers and they're always yeah. in contention every year. They're like the best work in baseball in terms of you know maximizing you know salary cap and player development. They're like the perfect example of how when you get both those things, when you hit a home run on both those things, how you're going to be a 90 plus win team every year. Yeah. Um. Even if they don't have like a high amount of World Series, like they've only won the one World Series in my lifetime, but um. I think a guy like, you know, maybe they, they deal a guy like Kybert Ruiz, who I've not been the highest on, but he's absolutely mashing this year in AAA. Mm-hmm. Kind of the power's back. And I don't think that's just because he's in AAA. Obviously, there's always that offensive boost in AAA, especially out in the AAA West now. I guess they call it the old Pacific Coast yeah, League. Yeah. Um, so Did I think it hurt to say those words. <laughs> it's weird. It really yeah. is. You know, you get used to like, all right, there's the Sally and the Southern League, the Eastern League, you know, the Pacific Coast and the International League. And now it's like, like my league, Eastern League, Double A, Northeast. I'm like, oh, that's just, yeah, it's just generic. I don't yep, know. Yep. But I, I, I get, you know, the, the realignment. I get it. But yeah, I mean, I, a team like the Dodgers might, because they have already have like obviously Will Smith, you know, the, the Austin Barnes. Uh, they have Diego Cartea, a little lower down in the, in the minor leagues, who's a, a good catching prospect as well. So, Maybe like, hey, maybe we need a, I don't know, maybe they need a bullpen arm, whatever. Maybe maybe Kyber Ruiz goes to a team where he has a better opportunity. Um, so I think that definitely could be a possibility here. And the team I'm really intrigued by, though, team that's, you know, they're below 500 right now, but they're still in it. They're only four and a half games out in their own division just because that division's not been the greatest this year. The Atlanta Braves. I think mm. you could see the Braves make a move here, and maybe they deal – a Christian Pache or a Drew, probably more so a Drew Waters because they also have the emergence of Michael Harris. Kind of, and obviously, they already have Acuna and, and stuff, so it's not like there's going to be a ton of spots in that outfield. Right. Um, but maybe they like, all right, we have a ton of outfielder, you know, depth throughout the org. Maybe we deal Waters and get a, get a you know that solid arm. Whoever that may. Maybe they, you know, uh, Minnesota who's falling out. Maybe they could be. All right, maybe they they entertain offers for Jose Barrios. So maybe like. All right, maybe we'll give you a, you know a package headlined by Drew Waters for for Barrios because you know Atlanta could use an arm with all you know the you know Freed underperforming and Soroka out for the year. So yeah. uh, they, if they want to make that push, and I think that obviously they still could make the push. I don't think the Mets or Nats are going to run away with it you know, anytime soon. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think Atlanta could. I think they're going to be buyers. I think just because they're the Atlanta Braves, like they're usually pretty yeah. good, right? And they they see that opportunity. Like, hey, we're not even though we've kind of struggled and had some injuries and bad luck. We're not out of it, and you know, we still got that great yeah, core to yeah, for sure. that great core to build around. So I think you could see Atlanta buy, and maybe even Philly, because Philly's right there with them. Maybe you see Philly buy, but um, yeah, these stuff will be a very interesting trade deadline because there's a lot of teams that not, aren't necessarily out of it, um, but a lot of teams like maybe you could see Kansas City be sellers. Well, they're always sellers, um, but you know the NL West. I mean the AL West is still kind of not up for grabs, but there's not a lot of teams out of it outside of Texas. So I think it's gonna be a very interesting trade deadline and. You know, in it's probably gonna be a lot of prospects that we're not even thinking about. Yeah, that might yeah, might yeah. be on the move. You never know. There's always like that deal that comes up out of nowhere. Yep. Right, like that eleventh <laughs> hour deal. You like all of a sudden there's a couple good prospects going. You know, one way or the other. But um, yeah, it's gonna be a really interesting trade deadline. Yeah, it's it's interesting to me to think like who really has some prospect powder that I want to see them burn and is also in contention because like there are quite a few teams with somewhat depleted or at least kind of like not conventionally like sexy farm systems that i feel like are doing pretty well right now or maybe just like have some constraints like 
Houston is really, really close to the, um, like the, it's not a salary cap, right? Yeah. Luxury tax. And they really can't bring in a whole lot of salary. So maybe they have to trade a bigger piece to get back someone who is on a pretty cheap contract yeah. if they want to actually contend. That is like, especially a bullpen arm, maybe who's not making a whole lot of money that that's probably the only realistic piece that they could acquire. And you have to think, what would they give up and who, and that, I think that's just a sort of really interesting question for us to kind of continue to look at over the next month, because, um, it's really fascinating to me to think like, why would you make the choice to give up someone for, you know, a reliever who's getting paid bill money. Um, but inevitably many people will, um, obviously I think also we're going to see um, the blue Jays part ways with somebody, uh, <laughs> because they do not have like many somebodies in their bullpen either. Right. Um, even, even the, ro- I think- the rotation needs some, could use some, a boost too. Like I, I think they were expecting Nate Pearson to be that guy. And obviously he hasn't been that guy. Yeah. Well, they made that I, yeah, that little a deal today. Lot going on there. Uh, sending Telez over to Milwaukee. Yeah. Um, that, was, so, that was that was that was very interesting for for both teams. I think that was yeah. a good deal for both teams. Yep. Uh, so I, I mean, signaling Telez really least. fits the type there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <He does. laughs> that's true. That's true. Like a, a wrestling match between him and Vogelbach. Just <laughs> have them duke it out. <laughs> One can hope. <Yeah. laughs> That'd um, be a good All Star Game festivity right there. there yeah, that's true. <laughs> They could get like the inflatable sumo suits and like yes, slam into each other. That the teams would be holding their breath. Who's going to come out of that with a broken finger or or face or something? Right, crack. (laughs) Want the Milwaukee sausage race? Except it's just all Milwaukee first baseman DH types. Um, That would be. I I would watch that. I would definitely tune in to watch that. Yeah, which means it won't happen because that's how things go. With you're uh, on. You're on the something, Alexander. You're on the something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll have to put that in a letter and send it off to Theo. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, that is going to bring us to the end of this episode. Sadly, Eric, thank you so much for being a part of it with us. Um, we know that you're in high demand. You got a lot working and, and going on at all times. So we super appreciate your time. Um, I don't imagine there are many people listening to us that don't also follow you and know your work. But if you could just go ahead and let them know where they can find what you do, um, where they can find you on social media, all of that, plug your stuff a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, this was this was a blast. Like this this flew by. I feel like we've been talking fifteen minutes and it's already been like whatever an hour. Um. So yeah, thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it. Always love talking baseball. Uh. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Eric Cross zero four. All of my written work is at fantraxhq.com, with the exception of my yearly contributions to the fantasy baseball black book that Joe Pizapia puts out every year, uh, right around you know January first or so. Um. Got my two podcasts, the Fantrax Toolshed with Chris Clegg, great guy. I love Chris. And then the uh, Five Tool Pod, which I've been doing for a year and a half now. It's been it's crazy. We started that like right at the beginning of the pandemic. So it's <laughs> crazy. It's been a year and a half uh, with that podcast. But I do that with, with uh, Jesse Roach and Jake Devereaux, who are you know have become friends of mine as well. So uh, yeah, they got the couple podcasts, got the weekly waiver wire stuff, you know, weekly dynasty prospect work. Just like I said, a little bit of everything just to keep things fresh. So yeah, thanks for thanks again for having me on, guys. This is this was a lot of fun. Uh, well, like I said, we're we're super glad to have, uh, have had you and uh, and really appreciate your insight and your your vision and the way you approach things, your process, all that. It's just super fantastic. Um, Alex, if you could go ahead and let the people at home know where they could find us. Well, they can find you on Twitter at the Corked Matt. I'm on Twitter at Chase underscore Rate. And most importantly, you can find our podcast on Twitter at Dugout Study Hall, where you can send us some questions. Please be sure to subscribe to the Pitcherless podcast feed if you haven't done that already. Leave us a good review if you can be so kind. And if you're not already, please consider becoming a PL Plus member so that you can harass us on the PL Discord. And that's it for me. All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time.